Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bingo! Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another playoff recap post game here for our 2022 NBA playoffs second round. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcast. Leave a review if you'd like. Follow us on Spotify, and of course, to follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. So. I want to wish everybody, before we get started, a happy Mother's Day to all the incredible mothers we have out there in this world. Make sure, if you have a good relationship with your mom, you tell her how much you love her. And part of the reason why my Sixers Heat recap today won't be as thorough is because I was with some family for that. I did get to watch the Mavs-Suns game, though, in depth, so I'll be able to go really hardcore into that one. But let's get started with the Miami Heat by the way if you think I'm being a bad Kings fan right now that light you see behind me it's flashing on me that is from my LA Kings right now up to nothing in the beginning of the second period against the Oilers need this game to tie the series 2-2 so I'm excited uh hopefully we get this dub let's talk ball let's talk basketball though let's start with the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers because I have less to say about that game and I thought it was a really good performance by Philly. Obviously, Joel Embiid is back, second game back. Lowry, the same thing. And Lowry has not looked good so far, just making shots, or from a making shots perspective. Tonight, 3 for 10 from the field, 0 for 6 from deep. And a big story of the game tonight, the Miami Heat just could not hit their threes. You saw both teams play a little more zone than we're used to seeing in most NBA games. I thought the Sixers implemented that a bit last game, and you saw more of it today. And it kept the, the Heat on the perimeter for the most part and they shot a lot of jump shots and did not make a lot of them especially from three seven for 35 from deep on the game for Miami they just could not hit a three a a team that's usually really good at shooting threes has been shooting the three ball well in the playoffs they couldn't find it so shout out to the Sixers zone and that's one thing I'll say about Glenn Rivers when he was a Clippers coach we did not go zone much at all and it's probably some an alternative that he should have thought about at times but He's bringing it out now, and it's working. He's probably learned some things from his mistakes. I thought that Tyrese Maxey was really good all game, blowing by guys, hitting the three ball. He was 5 for 10 from the field, 2 for 5 from 3, and got to the line six times, made all his free throws, 18 points for the young lad who has been the second-best player in the playoffs for the Sixers, in my opinion. But we did see a James Harden sighting tonight. Not a Plumber Jim sighting, a James Harden sighting tonight. He had maybe his best game of the playoffs thus far, probably the best game of the playoffs thus far, and a lot of it came in the second half. But I want to just talk a little bit more about the way the game went. So the first quarter, 30-28 to in favor of Philly. I thought Jimmy Butler had yet another amazing game He has just been electric in the playoffs, so good, so aggressive, gotten to the line so much. Tonight, he led all players in free throw attempts. Actually, no, he was tied with Embiid. Embiid went to the line 13 times, made 9 of them. Jimmy Butler went to the line 13 times and made 12 of them. I thought Jimmy Butler did a good job getting into the mid-range area, starting his move closer to the basket, 
being aggressive on certain guys. However, I still think he shot too many threes, six threes for Butler. And one of his new strategies is to shoot threes. Like his new his new three ball strategy is to like not jump up much at all when he shoots it. He doesn't elevate much on his three anymore. That's like his how he's figured out his new release from three. And I still think it's whatever. It's not worth it's not worthy of taking five uh, six threes in a game, especially in a playoff game. Because if you take away the three balls, he was 11 for 14 from the field. So that's pretty amazing. Mid-range, good footwork around the basket. Got Joel Embiid uh, in the air a couple of times. I thought he was good. I also thought Bam Adebayo was good, especially as the game went on. He was really trying to make life tough on Joel Embiid. Was playing physical with him, fronting him as much as he could. And he had 21 points, 7 boards, and 4 assists. No blocks, though. 9 for 12 shooting and 3 for 3 from the line. So good for Adebayo. But yeah, Kyle Lowry, you know, obviously he's been injured in this series, may not be 100%, probably isn't 100%, but he hasn't brought much in these two games in Philly. I thought another player that was great yet again tonight for the Sixers, and they played a nine-man rotation, Paul Reed, Shake Milton, Matisse Tybel, and George Niang, and Niang was the only one of those players off the bench that was in double figures, he had 10 on three for six shooting and two for five from deep. So that was good. And I think the real difference in this game, besides the performance of James Harden in the end, was really the three ball throughout the night. 16 for 33 from the field for from three for Philly. So that's 48.5%, nearly 50% from three, while the Heat shot about the same amount and made less than half of those. And a lot of these were decent looks on both sides. You know, both teams playing zone a lot, getting good looks. And Tobias Harris, even though he only made one, it was a big three. It was later in the fourth quarter. And even though the Heat outscored the Sixers 29-25, we had a good fourth quarter going in, the, the Sixers just made the big plays at the right times. It just looked like the Heat kind of ran out of gas. They could not hit enough jump shots. T- Tyler Hero, for example, who has been great in the playoffs, 4 for 12 tonight, 1 of 5 from deep, only 11 points, but he did get 10 rebounds, just not enough. And then Gabe Vincent was 1 for 6 and 0 for 4 from deep, so that's tough as well. And then you had Victor Oladipo, who played 32 minutes. I actually thought he was okay. He was aggressive. He got to the line 10 times. And he, he has shot creation. You know, that's something in his arsenal. Three for nine from the field tonight, though. One of five from deep. So even though he did score 15 points because he made eight free throws, he wasn't great from the field. I still think he was a good. He had a good impact on the game, though, overall, just because he's another guy that can create offense. But the plus-minus doesn't support that. He was minus 12, which is the worst of any Heat player. Um, I don't think he was the worst of any Heat player, though. But... Let's talk about, as I said, Tyler Hero struggled, but Tobias Harris, you know, in the fourth quarter, he made a left corner three. That was big. And then another guy who played very well again for the second game in a row, and he did it in game six against Toronto, Danny Green, even to the point where the fans started chanting his name. So Danny Green getting the Philly fans approval, which ain't easy, and was hitting his open shots yet again tonight. Four for six on the field, three of four from deep, 11 points. Every Philly starter was in double figures. Tobias with 13, only shot 10 times and made six of them, so live with that. 11 for Green. uh, Maxi, as I said, 18. Embiid, so I thought Embiid was good. I still think he's not 100% clearly. He's not posting up deep. He's getting, you know, Adebayo fronting him, was was drawing him way out to try to get the ball. It's just, it's not the Embiid that we've seen this season, but for good reason, you know, with the mask and whatever. He took some hard fouls, also committed some hard fouls. But overall, 24 points, 11 boards for him, 7-13 shooting, 
9 of 13 from the line, 1 for 3 from deep. But the main man we got to talk about tonight, and it, it hurts me to talk about him, but you know me. I tell it how it is. James Harden, also known as, I'm not even going to call him Plumber Jim because he was James Harden tonight. He was awesome. You know, the Heat are going to switch everything, and he was in his bag tonight. Blowing by guys, getting to the rim, a little bit of the foul-baiting tactics, and sometimes that he didn't get them, sometimes he did get them. He shot 10 free throws tonight, made nine of them, and shot 10 threes tonight and made six of them. So that's the real difference maker because he hasn't been making his threes like that. He's been short on a lot of them. And tonight he was one-on-one, he was lulling them to sleep, getting into a step back, and he was making it. He made at least three step back threes, the classic Harden step back three that we became so accustomed to seeing in Houston. And he closed the game with big shot after big shot. You saw the emotion on his face. He really felt it. He felt like he was his old self again. And this Philadelphia 76ers behind, how many points did he have? 31 from Harden, 7 rebounds and 9 assists, even though he had 6 turnovers, was the player of the game. 8 for 18 shooting, 6 for 10 from deep, and 9 of 10 from the line. The Sixers did turn the ball over 16 times, but they were able to make up for it by winning the rebound battle. No, they didn't. They actually lost the rebound battle by 1. This by the 3-ball. They really used the 3-ball and made it. And the Heat didn't make it. Sometimes in today's NBA, it's just who makes more threes. And today was one of those games. 116 to 108 in favor of Philly. Thought the zone was good. And we're going to definitely see more of it in game three. I'm sorry, game five. Big response by the 76ers, guys. Two games at home. You know what they say? Kenny Smith always says it. The series doesn't start till the game, a team loses at home. This series hasn't begun. But we got a three-game series now to look forward to. P.J. Tucker, seven points tonight. Three for seven from the field. Five fouls. Was in foul trouble. It was hard for him. Kyle Lowry, six points. Now, by the way, actually, no, it's not even worth saying on my podcast. I'm not going to stoop to a level. I was going to say something about Kyle Lowry relative to another all of, all-time all great. But I, I, I think Kyle Lowry is a great point guard for his era, but I don't see him as this all-time great. I don't see him as a Hall of Famer either. I think he may be the best player in Raptors history, greatest player in Raptors history for what he's done for that franchise. But I just don't see him as a Hall of Famer. I think he was a really good point guard for his era, top 10 in most years that he was good, not top five for me at all. He was the third best player on a championship team. You can argue second, but in the playoffs, he was third. And he's not a Hall of Famer to me. Not if Kevin Johnson isn't. Like, no way. I think Lowry's great. Not if Rondo isn't. I would have Rondo over him in the Hall of Fame too. Even though I think you can debate those two's careers. But Lowry also made the All-Star team a lot of times in a shitty East. The shittiest East we've ever had. Like, if Mike Conley was in the East those years, would he have made it? Because I think he would have. I don't think Lowry was much better than Conley for a lot of those years. Um, that's my opinion, though. I was I was I had to see Conley in, in the West all the time. So anyway, Max Struess only got five shots off tonight, made two of them, both threes, six points. But they just didn't get much of a supporting cast. Nobody outside of, no starter for the Heat scored more than seven points besides Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. And nobody outside of Oladipo scored more than 15 points outside of Jimmy Butler. Or nobody, period, scored more than 15 outside of Jimmy and Adebayo. Jimmy had 40 points, six assists, two steals, two blocks, 13 for 20, as I said. But now it's going to be really interesting. I think the adjustment that he'd have to make, just make shots. Lowry needs to play like a star. This is why they brought him in, not to shoot three for 10. And they need to carve this zone apart. A zone should not be so problematic for NBA players. Get Bam out of bio on the high post. Put P.J. Tucker in the short, in the, in the dunker spot or the deep corner if you want to keep him there. And then have Kyle Lowry at the top. Jimmy But Ooh, you know another? I actually have a better idea. Jimmy Butler in the high post. And bam at the dunker spot with PJ in the deep corner. And then and then 
Struess on the wing. However, the only problem that is is you typically like to have two guys on either side of the point guard when you're trying to break a zone down. So you could put Jimmy Butler on the wing and then bam at the high post, PJ at the dunker or the short corner. Uh, or not the short corner, the corner, deep corner. I think that's the adjustment. You've got to just play basketball the right way, though, against the zone. Not this screen and roll nonsense that they think like they're still playing man. Like, I just don't like it. I think it's bad basketball. But anyways, let's move on. And and, and also, if you're looking at this from a Sixers perspective, I think you got to be feeling really good because the momentum has shifted your way and Embiid hasn't looked his best. Harden may... We'll see if he, if he can kind of use that as a... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, let's just say he can use that as the start of possibly turning of a new leaf in these playoffs and play more like his old self on a consistent basis, but I don't think so. I think this is just a good game because he's still capable of these nights, but he's not going to be like this in game five. And I don't know if he'll have as good a, a good, as good a game as this in the series. But let's move on. But Embiid, though, will have better games, so that's something to look forward to. Let's move on now to the game that I really analyzed and watched in real depth today, and that was the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks game four. By the way, I see a comment about crazy to think Glenn has a chance and opportunity to coach an 0-2 comeback. Yeah, yeah. We'll see if he pulls it off. Comment saying basically Jimmy Butler carrying and everyone just bricking. Another comment says, Embiid's such a game changer. Glad he's back out there for the series. Yeah, I hate the Sixers with this current rendition of the Sixers, but I am happy to see Embiid back because you don't want to see guys injured in the playoffs. Kyle says, just one player was enough to change the series, and Joel just needed to be there. He didn't even need to have some dominant performance. That's a great point. See, that's the thing about people. They look at the box score so much, and you don't understand that this game, this sports, these, this thing called sports, it's fucking emotional. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a game with real people involved. You know what I'm saying? A game of momentum. It's not 2K or a video game or chess pieces where they just robots out there like fantasy basketball. It's not like that. And be a, a presence of a guy can change an entire thing. And let me tell you all this. This is a good, a great quiz for my beautiful Dime Jumper fam. What game in NBA history that I have done a video on resembles what I just said? Where the presence of one man changed everything, even though he wasn't 100%. I hope you don't get this wrong. Anyways, my boy TC says, wouldn't be surprised if Sixers won out the series and Bede's been a game changer. All right, let's talk about the Suns and the Mavs. The start of the game, the Dallas Mavericks came out firing from deep, firing. You know the Ma- the Suns are going to play that drop coverage with DeAndre Ayton and rely on Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges to get over the screens. Luka, in the beginning, made two great plays to pun- to punish that drop coverage. Got to a floater, then hit a three because Aiton was dropped too deep. Powell was setting some really good screens, and you saw the Suns adjust shortly after. They stopped with that drop coverage because Powell was setting good screens and they weren't doing a good enough job getting over them. And mind you, Luka is not C.J. McCollum. He's a big body. And he, used- he does an amazing job of keeping the, the guy chasing him over the screen behind him. On the offensive side for Phoenix, Devin Booker was the initiator to start the game. He was, as we've seen in the playoffs, his first quarter Booker, getting to his mid-range, getting to, getting to the basket really today. He was getting to the basket a lot more. And the the Mavs 
not playing drop coverage. They did on a couple possessions, and Chris Paul found Aiton, and and I think it was, yeah, mostly Aiton for some nice pocket passes, but mostly they were doing hedge and recover. So Kleba or Dwight Powell would come out because you cannot play drop coverage against Chris Paul and Devin Booker because Chris Paul and Devin Booker are mid-range maestros. So they'll get into that elbow, that space in between the guy getting over the screen and the big man dropping, that's that's enough for them to pull. So you're going to have to come up and show, which potentially leaves you in four-on-three predicaments. But again, in today's NBA, if you don't have to switch everything personnel, you're going to have to give some stuff up. But the Mavs, when Maxi Kleba comes in and plays the five, do have more switch everything personnel. So Dwight Powell only played 10 minutes. He didn't even score. A, he didn't even put a shot up. But Maxi Kleba played 34 minutes. And the, the Mavs, you know when they switch everything, who are the Suns going to look to attack? Luka. And today, Luka, in the beginning, almost lost control of his emotions. He picked up a technical foul. And then there was the play right on the other end where he was playing really physical defense on Jay Crowder and you knew that he was going to pick up a foul. It was one of those obvious ones where you can tell his emotions were getting the best of him. He picked up, I think, two fouls in the first quarter. And the one thing, though, I liked about that is that you could tell Luka was not going to let himself get bitched on defense like he did in Game 2. And he was taking the challenge today and playing good defense. And another thing I liked about Luka's approach he was, I don't know if, I mean, the shot attempts don't suggest this, but I would guarantee if you looked at time of possession and touches, he sacrificed today more. He let Jalen Brunson get going in the first half. He let Spencer Dinwiddie and, and him handle the ball a little bit more. There were times where he came off the ball for shots, and they didn't look good because he's not used to it. But, like, I remember one time he came off, I think this was in the second half. No, actually it was the first half. He came off a screen for a three on the move. And I was like, that's not Luka. And he missed pretty badly. Like, just, it was back of the rim, not very, off to the right, not very close. But it was a different shot. And that shows that one of two things are happening. Either Jason Kidd is running different sets for Luka because he wants to diversify his attack because it was just all Luka ball in the first two games. Or Luka himself is sacrificing. It's probably both. But he did a good job of letting Jalen Brunson get going. And again, all these people talking to me on Twitter and saying these things about, oh, this is not going to be the series for Brunson. Brunson can't play against the Sun's length. This is what I've been trying to tell y'all. It's all about how he's being played. If the Suns are going to switch everything, then there are only two matchups where Jalen Brunson could have potential success in the starting lineup. That's actually maybe three. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, and Devin Booker. Now, that being said, I'd say Chris Paul is the only one Ah, maybe Booker, the way he's played the last two games, Brunson. But actually, you know what? I think all three of those he can go one-on-one against. He just has to have the confidence. But not Crowder and Mikael Bridges and not Cam Johnson. I'd say steer clear of those three. And other than that, if they're playing the pick-and-roll regularly, hedge, recover, or blitz, Jalen Brunson can make the right read. If they're playing drop coverage, that's the best scenario for Brunson because he's got a good in-between game. So we were seeing all that type of stuff. We were seeing the sun go and drop a little bit. Brunson was getting into the mid-range. We saw some switching. He was getting by, made some shots on Booker, made some shots on... It was one play where he mixed Aiton badly on a little hesitation, kicked it out, and that three didn't go in. But what about the house down? But the beginning, the, the Reggie Bullocks of the world, the Dorian Finney-Smiths, Davis Bertans. Davis Bertans hit two threes in the first half. I'm sorry, first quarter. And Finney Smith had three in the first quarter. And one of the big reasons that was happening was after Luka had punished them in the drop coverage, then the Suns started switching everything. Even sometimes they go to the drop coverage and then Aiton would late switch and take it. 
And Luca was doing an amazing job of reading the defense, getting to the basket, penetration, and kick. And all the Mavs shooters were hitting. And that's the thing. When you switch everything against Luca, who's going to be able to stop him one-on-one? There's not many people in the world that can stop him one-on-one, if anyone. And the Mavs had a ton of success. Crowder, Jay Crowder got injured in the first quarter, twisted his ankle, but he would come back and actually be one of the best sons. Devin Booker at 13 points in the first quarter, but not much from anyone else, including my man DeAndre Ayton, who was missing some chippies, and overall I thought just looked like that soft Ayton that we that we say prevents him from being a star. You know, the thing about Ayton is sometimes he looks like Patrick Ewing Jr., and then other games he looks like a Care Bear. You know, not setting hard screens, not going up strong, not playing with... It's a lot of its body language. Like, he, yeah, look at his stat line today. It looks, it looks pretty good. 14 points, 11 rebounds, 7 to 12. No, because a lot of these misses were chippies. Shots that he's made. One, one was just like a wide open lob, like layup. He should have been like 9 for 12. And he should have been more aggressive. He should have gotten the ball more. He had six offensive rebounds. And a lot of those offensive rebounds, he didn't just go back up strong. That's the thing. You get the ball down there, go up strong, man. You're 7 foot with skill. So Aiton, I just don't think played well enough today. I think Booker and and Jay Crowder were the only starters that played well. Yes, Mikel Bridges, a bad game for once. I heard he had a, didn't have a great game in Game Three, but these two games have been the first two games in the playoffs he's been bad because he was awesome in basically every single game against New Orleans. Three for nine today for Bridges, only six points, and part of that's because he didn't get many transition points and they didn't give him any open threes. He only got two threes and he missed them both. But I also thought too. This game was very poorly officiated, in my opinion. And I think a lot of games in these playoffs have been very poorly officiated because I think the refs are struggling with, like, they're clearly being more lenient than they've had in previous years because, obviously, this year the NBA wanted to make it a little more physical again. And what's weird is you have this physicality aspect that's trying to be brought back, but the players themselves are still trying to foul bait constantly on both ends of the floor. Like, Chris Paul's trying to pull the chair on defense, and then on offense, he did the little classic CP3 move, Trey Young move, that got penalized. We're going to talk about Chris Paul in a little bit more depth in a second. but And then when guys are posting up, you see them push off, and then you see guys flop at any sort of contact. It's like so hard to officiate because it's like you, you, you're refing a physical game, but then you have these foul-baiting tactics. It's like play the fucking game. And it's hard to ref. Like It's not easy to ref, you know what I'm saying? Chris Paul, two fouls in the first quarter. One of them on an offensive foul on a follow-through on a pass. Second quarter, by the way, first quarter was all Mavs. 37-25 after one. As I said, Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, Davis Bertans. They were starting off hot from deep. And then, second quarter. Crowder got going after he came back. Hit his first three open threes. Even hit a floater. He had 15 points in the game. 6-for-13 shooting and 2-for-7 from deep. I thought he was pretty good. And Spencer Dinwiddie, when he came in, he also had his best game of the series, in my opinion. They went underneath... Cam Johnson went underneath the screen. He hit two threes with guys going underneath screens. Then they went over the top. DeAndre Ayton in drop coverage. Spencer Dinwiddie floater game. So Spencer was making them pay. You gotta love that. And then the Suns became hesitant to blitz because the Mavs shooting was so hot. So they went back into the drop coverage. Suns... Yeah, I already talked about Sun switching everything and Luka finding guys. Book had a really good first half, 19 at the half, and got to the basket a couple times on the switch everything from Dallas because people can't guard Book one-on-one. Aiton just okay, as I said, but overall not great in the game. The Suns, the funny thing is the Suns weathered the storm. They cut it down to six before half, but 
they the Mavs made some big plays at the end. And I'll tell you what really affected the Suns. Cliff Paul. So obviously he's in foul trouble. He comes in and hits two shots, has five points, picks up a third foul. And then the fourth foul was at the end of the quarter where he was trying to follow up his own miss, literally at the last second, like the buzzer's about to sound, and he gives Luka a little push. Was it a soft call? Absolutely. Why you're following your shot with that aggression at the end of a quarter? I have no idea. This is going back to Chris Paul's mistakes that he makes in the playoffs because sometimes he just cares too much. Sometimes he's just so intense that I don't think he's... He over he either overthinks it or is just like trying to press so hard and made foolish decisions. Like Chris Paul's a, a genius player, one of the smartest players ever. But these are the moments that define your legacy. Moments, I'm not saying game four in the second round against Dallas one year. That's not my point. My point is there's reasons he hasn't won a chip and it's moments like that. Now, I know what you're going to say if you're a Chris Paul defender or you're going to play devil's advocate. This was like the first time he like got fouled out of a playoff game. That's not the fucking point. The point is, I can you want you want to don't don't even get me started with Chris Paul's playoff failures because I think they're extremely over exaggerated. But I could write a fucking book on that guy because I that's my guy. You know, I'm a Clipper fan. I don't think anyone saw him as well as I did. New Orleans fans can say that, but they can't say that because they only made the playoffs three times. And in 2010, he missed half the season with this, this knee surgery. I got to see Chris Paul six years basically in full, so I know what he does. And in 2014 against the Thunder, was completely overthinking it in Game 5 when he when he lost the ball in behind half court because he wanted to get fouled. He wanted to throw it up there because he thought he was getting fouled. Last year against the Bucks, slowing it down, trying to play crisp ball, not killing the pace. He knows. He's smart. And then here we go again today. Two terrible games in a row. Seven turnovers the other night. And then today, the foul trouble. Four fouls at the first ha- at halftime. And then the third quarter, we saw an adjustment made by Monty. He went to his zone, and it was actually fucking the Mavs up. They were not getting the dribble penetration that they, they had in the first half. They were not getting that pick-and-roll success they were getting. And despite Chris Paul picking up a fifth foul, Devin Booker kept them in the game. He was trying hard, and he was getting to the line a lot. And you saw a little bit more hedge recover from Dallas. Actually, no, that, that's what they were playing most of the whole game. But they were, went a little bit more hedge recover in the third quarter than switch because they don't want to switch a lot on Devin Booker. A guy I thought could have played better today and just was really, really struggled from the field all playoffs. It has not been like last year's playoffs. Campaign. Chris Paul was out. He actually played a good amount today. 16 minutes. So it's not, not that much. But he just couldn't hit. Two points, one of five. Had chances in that third quarter to make some plays. And he just couldn't. Cameron Johnson, I thought he was solid. Three for seven from deep. Four for ten from the field. 11 points, five rebounds. He played pretty well. But the Suns, again, just had a tough shooting night from three. 25 three-point attempts, only made nine of them. Third quarter, though, they did outscore the Mavs 22-19. to And Luka, by the way, did not... The funny part is the Suns missed three free throws, too, in the third quarter that were just by makeable foul shooters. DeAndre Ayton went 0-2 from the line, so that's a huge problem. There's no reason why Ayton should ever have a game where he only shoots two free throws. And he missed them both. And then I believe it was Jay Crowder that missed the other one. It was one of two. So three free throws missed by very decent foul shooters in that quarter. Well, well, was it going to make a difference in the long in the grand scheme of things? No. But in that run, in that third quarter, it could have been because they were actually only down by four points, Phoenix, 78-82. And then 
the Mavs pushed it back up by the end of the quarter to 87-78. And a, a nine-point lead looks very different going into the fourth quarter than a four-point lead feels. And Luka, by the way, at this point was having an inefficient shooting night. But again, what do I always say? Fuck efficiency. The win is what matters. That will tell you the true story of a star's impact. Because he was creating everything. He was sacrificing a bit. Letting Brunson eat. And Brunson, he had some beautiful plays, man. Beautiful shots. Beautiful moves. 18 points for Jalen. Four rebounds. Four assists. Seven for 17 shooting. He bounced back with two really good games here in Dallas. Um, And then Spencer Dinwiddie didn't have an efficient shooting night. But he had 10 points, four boards, four assists, three for 10 shooting, two for four from deep. Thought he did his job. He gets in double figures. You're chilling. Davis Bertans, 13 minutes and in a very impactful 13 minutes. 12 points, four for six from deep. Those were all his shots. And some of them were not easy either. And Maxi Kleba, doing Maxi Kleba things. Defending well. Knocking down open shots. He had 11 points, was plus 16. Four for seven from the field and one for four from one for three from deep. There was even a time where I remember I said the Suns were switching for stretches, and he took Chris Paul right in the low post, sealed him well, got the ball into the basket, and went up. He even had two offensive rebounds. So when the Suns cross matched, Maxi Kleba did actually a pretty good job, even though he's not like a bully interior guy, of making his size felt. And then the story of the fourth quarter, the momentum was lost. Because Chris Paul, with five fouls, and I believe this was a bullshit call, a very harsh one in my eyes, slap, was trying hard, was guarding Jalen Brunson. And I like this. I like that the Mavericks, and this is something I was talking with my uncle about today, so many teams just don't play the foul trouble game. Because not that many guys get in foul trouble the way they used to, because as I said before, not as much one-on-one defense. It's more pick-and-roll defense. Not as much post-defense. And when you play one-on-one defense, that causes for physicality a lot more than pick and roll where it's a lot more rotations, closeouts, all that type of stuff. And teams go to the basket less. Settle for a lot of quick threes. And so, and then you obviously have the verticality rule. So for various reasons, you don't see foul trouble as much in today's NBA. But even when teams and certain guys are in foul trouble, I don't always see a concerted effort to keep going to the basket or put that guy in a position where he needs to guard without fouling. And the Mavs actually did on this play with... With uh with Chris Paul, Jalen Brunson went to the post, and by the way, he can actually post up pretty well for a guard. Has a nice little turn. He had a nice turnaround over his left shoulder today on Booker. That was beautiful. Actually, no, it was a fake turn over the left shoulder and it went over the right. Beautiful move. But Chris Paul didn't want to foul. It was clean. Jalen Brunson missed short, and Chris Paul, for whatever reason, slapped down, made small contact on his arm, and they fouled him out of the game. Now, obviously, I think that's a bad call. You don't call that to foul somebody out of a game, a playoff game, especially a player that important. But at the same time, Chris Paul's in the league for se- been in the league for 17 years. He knows he has five fouls. Slapping down is very easy to get called for a foul. This guy's got one of the best basketball IQs of all time. What was going on here? Like, what 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 kind of decision was that? What do you what is what was he thinking on half of these plays today? Fouls out with nine minutes left, and now Booker's gonna have to carry the load. And the way that the Suns were the Mavs were shooting. It was not happening for that for the Suns tonight. The Mavs executed brilliantly on offense. We're finding the open guys. And the guy that really put the game to bed, Dorian Finney-Smith. 13 shots taken. 12 of those were threes. And 8 of them went in. That's 66% for those that are slow at math. 
Holy shit, though. Dorian Finney-Smith, I've been saying it all playoffs. And I actually kind of I think I, if you go back to my recaps last year, maybe you can find me saying it then. But he's gotten a lot better to me three-point shooting-wise. But when he hits his threes, the Mavs seem to usually win. He's the X factor shooting the ball. The thing about Dorian Finney-Smith is I think he plays well damn near every game because he's defense first, and you don't need to rely on shots falling for that. But, wow, it's crazy because last year he shot 39.4% from deep. Didn't feel that way in the playoffs. But this year, he shot 39.5% from deep. So that's both really good. Damn, he did shoot 43% from deep in our series against us. I just remember, I'd have to look back at the individual games. Because some games he was hot, some games he was cold. But I feel like this year, he's been a lot more consistent with the three ball. And he was just on fire. And you already know the job he's going to do on defense. So Dorian Finney-Smith, shouts out to you. What a performance. Becoming, in my opinion, he's the X factor for this Mavs team, as I just said. Tonight... 24 points, 8 rebounds. And then Luka, 26 points, 7 rebounds, and 11 assists, 4 turnovers. Luka's been awesome. Best player in the series. And maybe a top 5 player in the league. Let me know in the comments, guys, who you would take right now. Embiid or Jokic? I'm sorry, Luka. Because that's the conversation to me. I got, I think the clear cut. Ooh! If you want to think Kevin Durant is also in that mix, too. I think the top 3 is is Steph, in whatever order, Steph, uh, Giannis, and... And Jokic. But I think Luka, KD, and Embiid come right after. And I think whatever order you put them in, I'll, I'll, I'll make that determination after the playoffs are over. But it's tough. So let me know what you guys think. Luka, Embiid, and what's the other guy I just named? Luka, Embiid, and Durant. I'm putting Curry in that top three. Because even though you want to look at his individual performance and say may not have been as, may not be as good as certain guys, look at the effect Steph Curry has on teams. That system doesn't exist without him. So... That's important. He's off the ball. Like, Luka, Jaw, KD, all these guys. Like, nobody moves without the ball like Steph. He opens up, like, total new avenues for his team. Like, like we haven't seen. But anyway, let's look at the lines for the Suns. By the way, as a team, the Dallas Mavericks shot better from three than two. So that tells you a lot. And Luka Doncic was one for ten from deep. So let's say you subtract Luka's threes. They were 19 for 34 from three without Luka's shots, which is absurd they shot 45 and a half percent from deep with you know including Luca 20 for 44 and it's the Suns turned the ball over 17 times 15 from starters four for Aiton again going into the soft shit getting stripped four for Crowder five for Booker and two for Chris Paul both of them were offensive fouls if I'm not mistaken DeAndre Ayton, 14 and 11 on 7 for 12 shooting. Devin Booker, I thought he played really well, was carrying the team. 35 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists, but still turned the ball over too much. 10 for 22 shooting and 3 for 6 from deep. 12 for 13 from the line. Where's my man KB at? Kelvin, my man KB always comes at me whenever Chris Paul plays well and Booker doesn't. Where's that energy at right now? Two bad games in a row for Chris Paul. Devin Booker was playing well today. Anyways, Chris Paul, 23 minutes, only 4 shot attempts. Two of them made, one for one from three, no free throw attempts, five points, five rebounds, seven assists, and two turnovers, and six fouls. The Mavericks move on and tie the series, defending home court, 111-101. So just like we said in the Heat series. And by the way, I find it hilarious that both series matched, or all four series matched up with one another. Like, they've matched up the two versus three on the same day and the one versus four on the same days. And... They've each followed suit with one another. The one versus four has been 2-2. Two, two. 
the home team has won every game, and then the three versus the two has been the road team won games one or won game one. The home team responded in game two with Grizzlies and Celtics winning, and then the home team is up two one now. And by the way, I hear John Morant's probably not going to play tomorrow, and that is a travesty. It is so sad. I know the Grizzlies have a good record without him, but this is playoff basketball. Shit changes, and that sucks if you can't play. Totally sucks. Would the Grizzlies have won this? I'm not going to actually go into all that. Let's just wait till the game plays. So I'll be going live tomorrow. But let's talk about Chris Paul real quick before we leave, for, uh, before I go to the live subscribers tonight. The one, I think the slapping foul was harsh, but the most ridiculous one was when he had four fouls and he tried to do his classic move where he throw, where he goes in front of the defender and puts him on his back. And I think that that should be allowed personally, especially like the way he was doing it, because I feel like you should be able to go wherever you want as the ball handler. However, you know that they have made an announcement this year that they want to try to take that out of the game where you get in front of a guy and shield him. I use that all the time. I, and guess where I learned it from? Chris Paul. I Anybody that's played basketball with me knows I use that. If I get a step on a guy, I'll like get in front of him and cut him off because of Chris Paul. I think it's smart. But... With three fouls or four fouls, you cannot be making risks like these. You need to be more calculated. And it's crazy I'm talking about calculations when talking about Chris Paul, the point god. That's another thing, guys. Like, I love Chris Paul and I always will. But you see my analysis for two years, I keep it 100 with bro. Just I just don't think he's as high up all time on the point guard list as a lot of people. But that's because I'm a historian that actually knows what Clyde Frazier did, that knows what Oscar did, what knows what, if like, again, everybody wants to talk about Steph as a point guard. If Steph's a point guard, Jerry West's a point guard to me. Because Jerry's more on ball than Steph. But that's a conversation for another day. The point is, in the all-time list, I'm not as high on Chris Paul. But that has nothing to do with my analysis on him in the moment. You know what I'm saying? And my analysis on Chris Paul is that he's going to play well in Game 5 because I know who Chris Paul is. He's going to play great in Game 5, in my opinion. Because a great player having two bad games in a row like that does not... Having one bad game in the playoffs doesn't sit well with him. But having two... He's going to bounce back. But here's my problem with Chris' discourse, right? Everyone hates this guy for whatever reason. I know he has his antics and all that, but it's kind of wild because there's like a section of people that love Chris Paul and a section of people that hate him. And it's starting to become that way with Ja too, like, and Luca. And I just think this is part of media and social media and the way I was, I tweeted about this today. It's like, it's so fucking toxic the way we talk about sports. It's like you either have to hate a team or a player or just love them. There's no in-between, no objectivity. It's all emotions and fanboyism, and it's just ridiculous. And like, oh, this guy sucked? Like, this is the type of shit I'd be seeing on Twitter every day, and I probably am guilty of it too. Oh, so what was that about him being better than Blank? Oh, so what was that about him being top 10? Like, just like this. Oh, my God, man. Shit's a toxic fucking cesspool. Anyway, this is the problem with Chris Paul. When he plays like ass, he's a loser. Everybody, he sucks. He's overrated. When he plays well, when he has those fourth quarter takeovers, oh my God, point God. Oh Lord, he's top five. He's better than Isaiah Thomas. He's better than Oscar. Shut the fuck up. You make it so, like, I love Chris Paul. He's my favorite player, like one of my favorite players ever. And you make me not want him to succeed because of the way you overreact to every little thing. Oh my God, I wish I had a Twitter when he was going off against the Jazz when Blake Griffin fucked up his toe. You would have had me going, oh, you check my Facebook post. I was obsessed with this man because he was on my fucking squad. But nobody talks about that five years now, do they? And so when people want to talk about, oh, I mean, you know, Isaiah, he didn't really, his stats aren't that great. There's a reason why people talk about that motherfucker the way they do. Because the bad boys, we were 30 plus years removed from the bad boys and that team's impact will forever live on in basketball lore. And he was the conductor. 
Yeah, we'll talk about Lob City in 30 years. Not for the right reasons, I can assure you that. Except for with the Clippers for changing our franchise. But my point is, it's so easy to be caught up in the moment with Chris Paul. Everything he does is good and bad. It's just so, it's just so over the top. And I'm just trying to be that middle ground. Because I love Chris Paul. Do I root for the Suns? No. Am I rooting for Chris? Not really. But it's like, settle down. Tonight, he was not no point God. He was point clot. And that's another thing. I'm never going to call him point God because, like, how can you be good? I'm not going to call anybody a God of anything unless they have a championship. I'm sorry. If you have God, you'd have to have a championship to be God. Otherwise, you're in the Stockton category. And by the way, I was watching a Stockton game. Not a full game, but a 50-minute version, a condensed game with one of my friends yesterday. Stockton was 39 years old. You guys would not believe the shit he was doing. Oh my God. It looked like Chris Paul, but he was two years older. So imagine if that we had social media for that. And he's a little white guy. John Stockton's a fucking plumber. Somebody was trying to argue with me that Trey Young was better this year. It's like, bro, Trey Young can't play fucking defense. John Stockton is the all-time leader in steals and was a menace. That's it for me tonight, guys, before I start spamming. Thanks for joining me. By the way, I see great attendance tonight in the chat. 23 people on Mother's Day? Okay, I see y'all. Let's go to the live subscribers. Wait, no so patient in the chat. Thanks for joining me. Peace. Let me know what you thought.